Good morning, church. Uh, for those of you that don't know me, which is most of you, my name is Bill Lawrence. My wife and I, Adele, who's too shy to be up here, uh, have been attending here for about nine months. Uh, the two scriptures I'm going to read today, both from the New International Version, are Exodus chapter 20, verse 15, and Ephesians 4, 28. Exodus 20, 15 reads, you shall not steal. Ephesians 4, 28, anyone who has been stealing must steal no longer, but must work doing something useful with their own hands that they may have something to share with those in need. The word of the Lord. morning, TCC. Well, Jolene and I uh, enjoy watching cop shows in the evening after we put the kids to bed. You know, there's, there's something about a great cop show where you're watching these police officers not only solve mysteries, but hunt down the bad guys who are doing the crime. And uh, the show we've been watching recently um, has been you know, episode over episode, developing the backstory of one of the main characters named Deacon. And you watch Deacon, and he's just this incredibly good guy. He's this Catholic character who will pray with victims of crime and different things. And, and you watch Deacon's life kind of unravel a little bit, episode to episode. Um, first, you know, he, he has an injury. Uh, his wife has an injury. She's in the hospital. Um, then when she recovers from that, she's unexpectedly pregnant with their fourth child. And then the plumbing in their explodes and and deacons finding his resources slip away very quickly and he's desperate for money um, this builds to him um, being in a position where he's working uh, not only as a cop but working on the side doing various jobs until he injures himself and can no longer work in these places so he finds himself in desperation going to a loan shark and the episodes are building to this moment where you have this character um, after chasing down some bad guys, you have Deacon standing in front of a vehicle that is full of bags of cash. And his other cop friends have ran off chasing a suspect, and there's Deacon. And you've been watching this story episode ever, over episode, and you find, himself in this, you find him in this moment. And as a viewer, you're like, dude, just do it. Just, just grab some of the cash, right? Like, no one will know. And, and you think about all the pain he's enduring. You think about the, this loan shark who's coming after him and making him do all these things he's not supposed to do. And you're thinking, man, if he just took a little bit of that money, his life would be that much better. You know, and as a viewer of a moment like that on TV, sometimes we find ourselves asking the question, what would I do if that were me? Standing in front of bags of cash. The opportunity to take a little bit for myself and likely no one will ever know. What would you do if you had the opportunity to fast track your way towards happiness? To experience security by what seems to be the easiest means possible? Have you ever been tempted to reach and take something that is not yours to take? Well, we have been in a series um, over the past few months, um, kind of operating under this understanding that, that God has made us, 
that God knows how we are to get the most out of life and that he's invited us to come and follow Jesus to experience abundant life. So we rightly ask the question, what, what does it look like to follow Jesus? What does it look like to walk the ways that Jesus has called us to walk? And we've been unpacking various themes uh, using the Ten Commandments as a springboard. And this morning we come to the Eighth Commandment, do not steal. Friends, where theft is an attempt to fast track our way towards happiness or security, the way of Jesus calls us to abandon our self-reliance and the sin that it leads to and instead depend on God and to depend on community. I want to speak this morning under the title that the way of Jesus is a way of dependency. The way of Jesus is a way of dependency. Now, this eighth commandment is an interesting one because among the commandments, sorry, the pulpit's like shaking and it's really throwing me off. I'm going to do this. That's not helping at all. That's okay. Um, the eighth commandment is an interesting one because of the commandments, it's, it's an easy one to say, you know, I'm doing pretty good. I haven't robbed any banks lately or, or ever. You know, I haven't broken into my neighbor's house and, you know, rummaged through their stuff and taken the things that appealed to me. So maybe I'm doing pretty good. I, I haven't looked at ways to um, take advantage of my employer and to, to take money from the place that I work. So, you know, I, I'm pretty good. I'm not breaking uh, this eighth commandment. And we kind of pat ourselves on, on, on the back and move forward. But I think when we begin to look at a commandment like this, it's important for us to ask a few questions. How is this commandment understood in the context of the nation of Israel? How does God speak about this commandment in other places of Scripture? And how does Jesus talk about this commandment in the New Testament? And how did the early church understand it? So it's a bit of the journey that I want us to go on as we walk through um, this commandment this morning. Well, the command very simply is, you know, we can read it in just a, a few words. Do not steal. But the word that's used here already kind of reveals a little bit to us that it's about more than just robbing a bank or breaking into your, your neighbor's house and taking things that are not your own. This commandment assumes that there is a universal right to property, that you and I have been given things by God, that we have a right to ownership. That's assumed within this passage. And as Christians and those who trust in the teaching of Scripture, more than just knowing that we have a right to property, we believe that all that we have is ultimately God's. Psalm 24 says that the earth is the Lord's and everything in it. So the property that we have as Christians, we understand, is something that's been given to us by God. It is ultimately God's, and you and I are stewards of it. What's also implied in this commandment is that our property should be protected. It is rightly protected. Protected from what? Here in the Eighth Commandment, it should be protected from theft. Now the scope of this word, again, speaks more to, than to just robbing banks or breaking into someone's house, but the emphasis of the word in the Hebrew is that it is to take from another and to do so under cover, to do so by stealth. It's the looking over the shoulder to see if anyone's looking before reaching to take something. Scholar and theologian and pastor Daryl Johnson uh, writes this about this, this concept of theft within the Eighth Commandment. 
For what Yahweh our creator prohibits here is not only the overt, violent seizing of another's property, but Yahweh prohibits the deeper, hidden, subtle, crafty taking or keeping of that which is not our own. So yes, while robbing a bank or a store is completely off limits under the Eighth Commandment, but we, we would also understand the scope of it to, under, to be talking about things like the stealing of time from your workplace. We're sitting at work on work time doing personal things or scrolling on social media when your boss isn't looking. It's having a contract to do a job in three hours, finishing it in two and a half, and then still billing the client for the full time that um, was a part of the contract. It's cheating on taxes or accepting benefits from the government that you're not technically eligible for, but don't feel like pointing that out. It's this crafty, hidden, subtle taking and keeping of that which is not our own that this commandment is speaking to. It prohibits wrongdoing our neighbors to gain our own security, advancement, or pleasure. Simply put, by the commandment, do not take that which is not yours to take. So if that's what we have simply in the Ten Commandments, let's move now to how the people of Israel understood this commandment. In Exodus 22, uh, chapters 22 to 23, we have what's called the Book of the Covenant, and they unpack a little bit more of the understanding of what it means to protect one another's property. And what we see is that the protection of property is not only about not stealing, but it's also about protecting everyone's economic stability. It's the recognition that theft benefits the person stealing, but while at the same time harming another. And that harm is not okay. What's interesting in Exodus 22 to 23 is that it has an emphasis on restoration for the sake of economic stability. So while it identifies the problem of theft, it is continually speaking to the importance of paying back that which was lost. But the payback is always meant to be greater than what was originally taken. So it's never a one-to-one return, but in some places you have um, what might look like a one-to-one, where in the case of an ox grazing in someone's pasture, um, they would say that that person who owns the ox is responsible to replace that which was taken by the ox, but they need to do so from the best of their crop. In other places, we see that a five-to-one payback needs to happen for the loss of that which was taken. Now, the scope within the Book of the Covenant goes even wider, because while the emphasis is not only on the issue of theft, it also speaks to the importance of of protecting other people's property. Where, and it goes on to prohibit, prohibit um, passivity towards your neighbor's property. So we see that protection of property can be both passive and active. In Exodus 23, verses 4 to 5, we read, If you come across your enemy's ox or donkey wandering off, be sure to return it. If you see the donkey or someone who, who hates you falling down under its load, do not leave it there. Be sure to help them with it. So this is interesting, isn't it? Because while we might think of theft or the protection of property simply as not taking that which is not our own, the book of the covenant and the understanding that Israel had towards the protection of property was that the whole community was meant to participate in making sure that everyone was doing okay. 
You know, when I was framing houses, it was not uncommon uh, for our tool sheds to be broken into. We'd have trailers parked on site. And you, you would hear stories of guys coming into work in the morning and the trailer had been broken into and things have been taken out of it. This is an example of not only the theft of property, but the harming of another's economic stability. No longer can we as carpenters build a house if all of our tools have been taken. So we see the scope of this eighth commandment expand into a community coming together to help one another be economically okay. That everyone should be able to work. That everyone's crops and livestock should be protected by one another. That if you see someone's crop or livestock um, in a place of risk, that you would intervene and keep it from being harmed. All this emphasis shows us that tucked into this commandment is a call to positive action towards your neighbor's economic good and stability. Now Jesus takes this commandment even further in the New Testament. In Mark chapter 11, we read about Jesus entering Jerusalem. On reaching Jerusalem, Jesus enters the temple courts and he begins driving out those who were buying and selling there. He overturned the tables of the money changers and the benches of those selling doves and would not allow anyone to carry merchandise through the temple courts. And he taught them. He said, is it not written that my house will be called a house of prayer for all the nations? But you have made it a den of robbers. Now Jesus' reference here to the temple is that it had been made into a den of robbers. But looking at it from the outside, quickly you ask the question of, well, a den of robbers? What are they robbing? What are they stealing? What actually is going on in the case of the temple here? Now, from reading commentaries and looking at some of the historic context of what Jesus is addressing... Um, What happened in the temple um, is that people would be traveling from all over Jerusalem to come and make their sacrifices. And it would make sense to not bring some of your livestock from where you're coming all the way to Jerusalem, but to come to Jerusalem and purchase an acceptable sacrifice once you get there. But what was happening was people were taking advantage of others who were in this situation. And so instead of charging a fair price for a lamb or a dove or some sort of sacrifice, they would jack the price up and say, well, you need a lamb, you need a dove to to make this sacrifice, and uh, so you need to pay what I'm asking you to pay, even though the rates were ridiculous. The other side of it was that the temple became a place where people were exchanging currency, and um, what they were doing in the currency exchange is they were, we were charging extremely high rates to do that service for people. And so those who were coming to the temple, who were in need of a sacrifice, who were in need of currency being taken advantage of. In addition to that, the temple, which was meant to be a place for all people to come and worship, um, these types of things were keeping people from being able to worship. So in all of this, Jesus was saying that these people are robbers. They are thieves. They are in violation of this eighth commandment. So when I think about this, it makes me realize that from Jesus' perspective, stealing can take place in legally acceptable limits. So from the outside, from the letter of the law, from looking in, you might say, well, technically, they're not stealing. Technically, they're not doing anything wrong. They're they're leveraging their opportunity to, to make a profit. But Jesus looks at that situation and he says, no, 
These are thieves. These are thieves. They're turning the temple into a den of robbers. Friends, from Genesis to Revelation, God's people are called to care about one another's well-being. The issue with these money changers and these who are selling, uh, selling sacrifices to those who didn't bring them um, were taking advantage of other people's needs and exploiting them for their own gain. Choosing ignorance towards another's struggle or participating in making their struggle worse may actually make us guilty of breaking the Eighth Commandment from Jesus' perspective. And as we continue to read the New Testament, we see how some of this plays out. So I wanted read for us this morning from Ephesians uh, chapter 4. Anyone who's been stealing must steal no longer, but must work, doing something useful with their own hands that they may have something to share with those in need. This is such an interesting verse because what's happening here is Paul is saying that the person who's stealing, they shouldn't steal anymore, right? But on who is he placing the responsibility to make sure that that's actually happening, that this person would no longer steal? He's putting the responsibility on the church. He's looking at the church and saying, hey church, if there's people among you stealing, they shouldn't steal anymore, but let them work. Give them opportunity. Give them resources. Help them put themselves into a position so that they don't have to steal. Here we see that the keeping of the Eighth Commandment does not fall solely to the responsibility of individuals, but it falls onto a community. That as the people of God, we must not contribute to creating spaces where people find themselves needing to steal but rather through generosity and a giving, through self-sacrifice, help create the conditions where no one has to steal. No one has to reach beyond, uh, reach and look to themselves to secure their own safety, but that they can actually depend on one another. This is echoed in a picture we have in Acts chapter 2, where we read about... um, where we read about the early church. A group of people who it says that they were selling all that they had so that they could meet the needs of those among them. Some commentators read that and say that the early church eliminated poverty in their context. What a beautiful picture. And I love too how this Ephesians passage kind of brings it to this point of, well, why should we make sure that the thief doesn't have to steal? Just so that they could be okay, so that they can be comfortable, so that they can live a good life? Well, all of that's implied. But the point that Paul makes is, no, he wants it to lead them towards generosity. Let the thief no longer steal. Yes, so that they can be okay. Yes, so that they can provide for themselves. But also, that they can participate in the generosity that the church is able to extend. Help them, too, come to a place where they can be generous. Again, from Genesis to Revelation, we see this recurring theme of generosity. Which brings me to just one more passage to speak on um, a way in which the Eighth Commandment is sometimes broken. In Malachi uh, chapter 3, we have God having a dialogue with his people. Will a mere mortal rob God? 
Will you steal from me? Is the question. Yet you robbed me. But you ask, how are we robbing you? And God responds in tithes and offerings. You are under a curse, your whole nation. Why? Because you are robbing me. You're breaking the eighth commandment towards God. And then he challenges the people. He says, bring the whole tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. Test me in this. Now principally from Malachi chapter 3, we see God teaching on theft, saying that stealing can be both taking and keeping. Do you see how wide the scope of this passage is? As the people of God, we are called to be generous. And so this commandment, do not steal, it calls that we would not only resist the urge to take our neighbor's property, but it calls us also to the protection of that property. It helps us to think about the way we use our resources and the way that we might leverage, um, leverage our own opportunity in a way that might take advantage of others. And it says, do not do that. Don't take advantage of other people. The call to not steal also is a call for God's people to care about one another's well-being and to work as a collective group to make it so that we are not creating the conditions in which someone needs to steal. And in Malachi, this emphasis that stealing can be both taking and keeping, that we are called to be generous people. And it's interesting to note in Malachi, this is the only place in Scripture where God challenges people to test him. Test me by being generous. Promises that he will give us abundance. Well, friends, I know that this can be a touchy subject. When we start thinking about how we use resources or don't use resources. When we start talking about the interdependence of a community upon one another. When we start talking about our own pocketbooks, we can get a little uncomfortable. But what I want us to see in this eighth commandment is that the way of Jesus is a way of dependency. The Eighth Commandment addresses one of the ways that we reach towards security in an ungodly way through theft. How we reach towards security in an ungodly way by, by not turning ourselves towards the needs of others and helping and responding to that need because it might be comfortable. It speaks to how we might withhold our generosity in the need, out of, out of this sense of trying to preserve maybe the little bit that we have. But friends, in doing these things, we demonstrate mistrust in God and, we dis, and disregard for our neighbor. But the way of Jesus invites us to stop relying on ourselves as the sustainer of our own good and invites us to instead depend on God as the sustainer of our good. Thou shall not steal because thou does not have to steal. The way of Jesus is a way of dependency. And I see this in two facets as we unpack this. First is the dependency on God. That when we're tempted to take that which is not ours in order to give ourselves a sense of security or provision, we must choose not to steal, but instead depend on our Heavenly Father to provide for our needs. 
We need to choose to instead depend on our Heavenly Father and trust that He is going to provide for us. That He sees our need. That He knows us. That He cares about us. Friends, from Genesis to Revelation, Scripture just proclaims again and again that God loves you. He cares about you. He cares about your your sense of of well-being. He cares about your abundance. And theft is an expression of of kind of saying, well, I don't trust God. I can't depend on Him. I'm just going to depend on myself. And my circumstances have put me in such a position that you know, I, I kind of need to do everything that I can to gain some sort of security or some sense that things are going to be okay financially or be okay in the sense that I have all that I need. But when we follow the way of Jesus and we trust in the goodness and the provision and the care of God, we bring Him that insecurity. We bring Him that difficulty. And we say, God, I, I don't feel okay financially. God, I don't feel like I have enough. God, I, I, I'm looking at my situation and I'm not quite sure how ends are going to meet, but I choose to trust you. I choose to put my hope in you. Father, keep me from looking to myself in an ungodly way and help me to keep looking to you. Friends, God loves you. And he wants to answer those prayers. But the other layer of this that we see in Scripture is that we are called to depend on others. The way of Jesus is not only a way of dependence on God, but it's a way of dependence upon a community. We depend on one another. That those who are in need come and they be honest about that need with their friends, with their community. They share with those who love them that things aren't going okay. And we live into the vision of, in God's word that we are one in the spirit. And that if one of us is suffering, we're all suffering. And that we collectively come alongside those who are struggling. And we help them. Over and over again, we are called to that in scripture. To not turn a blind eye to the needs of one another. But to come alongside them and help them in that place of need. Friends, this is the kingdom of God That Jesus died for. A community of people that are not taking advantage of others in order to live more comfortably. But a community of people who have eyes to see one another. And to care for one another in intentional ways. And in doing so extend the love and the care of our Father God to a world and and people who are in need. You know it sounds so great on paper. And we could go into story after story of of ways in which even this community has lived into this vision of the New Testament. This vision of being a generous people who support and care and love on one another. So friends, how do we keep the Eighth Commandment? How do we keep the Eighth Commandment? Well, first, I think it starts with us surrendering to God's love and care. Um, our Ladies Refresh group on Wednesday mornings is, is reading uh, Jen Wilkins' book, Ten Words to Live By. And she has this great line. She says that stealing praise, my will be done, my kingdom come. Friends, when we're stealing, we're praying, my kingdom come, my will be done. But 
but we surrender to God's love and care. We can with boldness and confidence pray, thy kingdom come, thy will be done. But to do that, we have to trust. We have to seek God's provision and to care for others and be faithful with the resources that he has given us, even when it's hard. I remember a season of life where Jelena and I, when uh, she just started studying in Calgary and I had just started working as, a, as, as an apprentice building houses and money was really tight for us. Um, and I remember being at the grocery store and we needed more shampoo and I was so discouraged at like the price of shampoo. Maybe you've been there. Um, and just in light of all that was going on in that season, I remember being like, we won't buy this now. And I remember doing budgeting and finances and just this conviction of the importance of, of giving back a little bit to God of what he's given to me and the practice of tithing and, and giving back to the church um, and the difficulty in that season. It was not easy. It was quite painful uh, to, to cut that check in the season of life where it felt like we couldn't afford shampoo. Um, but I, I just love God's humor because it was that same weekend we're at a friend's house and we were, had enjoyed dinner with them and we we're getting ready to leave and the wife is like, hey, hold on, hold on, hold on. And she comes out with one of those like gift baskets that you can buy around Christmas time and it's full of shampoo and soaps and like all this stuff. She's like, would you guys use this? She's like, we don't need it. And I guess it was some free item at something that she was at. And it was just this hilarious moment. It was this Malachi chapter 3 moment where God's like, test me in this. And so we surrender to God's love and care and we trust him to do what only he can do. And I'm sure, maybe even this morning around brunch tables, you can share about ways that God has met your needs in ways that have surprised you. I love the prayer in Proverbs chapter 30, verse 7 to 9. Two things I ask of you, Lord. Do not refuse me before I die. Keep falsehood and lies far from me. Give me neither poverty nor riches, but give me only my daily bread. Otherwise, I may have too much and disown you and say, Who is the Lord? Or I may become poor and steal and so dishonor the name of my God. What a prayer. It is a prayer of surrender. God, I surrender myself to you. I surrender myself to you. Thank you for meeting my needs. Help me to trust you. Secondly, we keep the eighth commandment by not stealing. It's pretty obvious, right? We need not steal. Um, the, Jen Wilkin has this quote again from her book. She says, the thing with stealing is that we can always find someone else who is doing it on a grander scale than we are. And in doing that, we easily just justify it. But we need to ask the question, is there somewhere, when it comes to how I'm managing my finances and my resources, is, is there somewhere in my life where I'm reaching and taking something which maybe isn't actually mine to take? Maybe it is the simplicity of, the way you spend your time when you're on work hours. Or maybe it's just borrowing office supplies from the office and you know, no one's really going to notice it's missing. Or maybe it's areas where you have this attitude of, well, what's the big deal? Everyone takes a little bit here and there. We need to bring those things prayerfully before the Lord and ask the Father that we would no longer cross the line. But in addition to that, ask the Father... What's going on in your heart? 
When you reach for something that's not yours, what does it reveal in your heart? What is it revealing about areas of mistrust? And invite Jesus into those places. Be honest and real. Father, I, you know, I, I feel this need to take what is not mine. What's going on in me? Help me to trust you. Help me to depend on you. And then thirdly, we keep the eighth commandment by seeking the welfare of others. Seek the welfare of others. Because I've already talked about this a lot this morning, but it's the practice of generosity. It's looking at the resources that God has given to you and recognizing how you can use those resources to bless others. It's choosing not to turn a blind eye when you see someone in need. But looking for opportunity to engage in helping to meet those needs out of the abundance of what God has given to you. And I think coupled with generosity is the importance of simplicity. Practice simplicity. Because here's the problem. Our overabundance can easily lead us to possessing more and more which demands that we give more time and more money to manage the things that we have. And we end up putting ourselves in situations where we are unable to be generous because we've overextended our resources. We could do a whole teaching series on the importance of generosity and simplicity. When we think about being people in a community that seek the welfare of others, we need to ask ourselves, Am I living exorbitantly? Am I living um, and extending myself beyond my means to the point where if I found someone who was in need, I wouldn't actually be able to help them? I don't ask that judgmentally, but I, I just encourage you to, to prayerfully consider that question. How can you position yourself in such a way that generosity comes easy? And what if we took our cues about happiness and joy from Jesus and learned contentment, learned to be content with little, to have joy in the simple, not needing stuff or more things to feel happy or secure. And then I ask to us, church, how might we be a community described in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 28? A community in which others do not have to steal because we see those in need and respond to those needs. And again, TCC, you are a generous congregation. And it is so fun at times to watch how we respond to one another's needs. Sometimes it's the simplicity of people running meals from one house to another. Sometimes it is the giving of financial resources from one household to another. Other times it's just being there emotionally and offering love and support in difficult seasons. But I thank you for, our gener for your generosity and my encouragement to us is that um, that would be something that people would look at our church and say, man, that is a generous congregation. Friends, we don't have to steal because there is an abundance available to us in Christ Jesus. And it is available to us in the community of Christ. We do not need to reach for things that are not ours to own in order to feel happy. And we do not need to turn a blind eye to the needy. But we need to take our cues from Jesus 
who lived in the abundance of his father and the abundance that his father had for him. And he poured out his life generously, poured out his life generously for ours. So invite the worship team up as we close in a time of prayer. And Father God, we thank you for this eighth commandment. And Lord, I thank you for the ways that it points to the reality that we are such an interconnected people. And Lord, I pray that as we reflect on this commandment, you'd help us to be a community of people that do not turn a blind eye to the needy. I pray that you would help us to be individuals who do not look for opportunity to take that which is not ours as a way to somehow secure something in our hearts. But Jesus, help us to be a community that experiences the abundance that you have for us. And Lord, sometimes that abundance doesn't come in the form of a check or the providing of every resource we could dream of. Lord, but you have given us yourself in the person of Jesus. And in some senses, what more could we ask for? So Lord, help us to be thankful and content. Help us to be generous. Lord, we pray that you would help us to see the world, to see our communities the way that you see them. Lord, give us vision for those who are around us. Give us vision as we live this life and as we walk in your